everyone, Shanna here, welcoming you to another episode of Worthy Asian, a safe space to talk about generational trauma, Asian parenting styles, and finding our way to healing and knowing our worth. This week, we're going to talk about recognizing signs of having a parent wound or having childhood trauma. But first things first, Happy Lunar New Year! I'm Chinese, so it wouldn't be right if I didn't say Gong Hei Fat Choi, wishing you many blessings for 2023. I want to talk a little more about Lunar New Year next week because I think it's important for Asian culture, but I also felt that I couldn't jump into that this week, being that we were just getting started with the podcast. And so let's get back to it. Last week, we touched on the importance of acknowledging versus ignoring childhood trauma. But maybe for some of us, we don't really know if we have trauma, or we don't think we do have trauma affecting us. When people think of trauma, people think of big things. You know, fighting in a war, car accidents, assault, and abuse. And when we think of abuse, we can be quick to be understanding of pain caused by physical or sexual abuse, but can overlook the effects of verbal and emotional abuse. We don't think much about neglect, unless it's neglect of physical items like food, water, or shelter. But emotional neglect is also abuse, because being ignored, invalidated, pushed past your limit, that is abuse. In fact, in my research and books I've been reading, majority of cases of child abuse comes from neglect. I'm not saying a certain type of abuse is more traumatic than the other, but I'm saying that we need to take emotional and verbal abuse just as seriously. Much is the same with health. Physical ailments get more compassion than mental health. That's just the nature of it. It's easy for us to not acknowledge or understand what we cannot physically see. In my opinion, so take what you will from that, the signs I'll be outlining soon of a parent wound usually stem from a place of emotional neglect which then, for me personally, got solidified and amplified by physical abuse. So if I didn't meet that expectation of emotional abuse, then physical abuse was the consequence that came after, if that makes sense. So let's define a parent wound a little further. A parent wound is basically the effects of the loss or lack of a nurturing parent. The wound can stem from toxic beliefs, messages, or practices that are often generational and passed on. It can be a specific event that left a significant mark. It instills deeply rooted beliefs that make you feel unloved, abandoned, unworthy of care, and fearful of expressing yourself. Unfortunately, just because we grow up to be adults, it doesn't mean we grow out of feeling these things that we felt when we were kids. It's commonly referred to as the mother wound, as traditionally, women have been seen as the main caregiver, and there are many elements of this generational trauma that stem from women living in a world where it seems that men hold the power, and they have to live up to high expectations under an oppressive culture. Women often grow up internalizing these beliefs that they need to be a good girl, be small and quiet, obey and accommodate others above themselves. I want to acknowledge this because it is valid and true, but I also don't want to just call it a mother wound because I believe fathers can cause childhood traumas too, and boys and men growing up in such environments can grow up with same feelings and same trauma. 
So I will be calling it a parent wound, where parent comprises of anyone in a caregiver role to a child. This is not an all-encompassing list, and you may only relate to one or two of these things, or you may resonate with a lot. Everyone is going to be different. I've tried my best to organize it into 10 main points, but some intertwine with each other, so it might get a little messy. I will just touch briefly on these signs, as some require a deeper dive. So here goes. 10 signs you may have a parent wound. Number one, you have low self-confidence. You engage in a lot of negative self-talk. You don't go for what you want or do what you want because you talk yourself down. You are unable to make decisions quickly and overthink. In big groups, you tend to be a follower rather than a leader. And there may be a lot of body shaming involved. Number two, you are a perfectionist. You are an overachiever. You have a need for control, fear of failure. You are a strict rule follower and you're not really good with change. You have a plan, and my God, you are going to execute it if it's the last thing you do. Number three, you are a people pleaser. You want to be liked by everyone. You seek approval and validation from others. Number four, you could be the flip side of a people pleaser, so you could be rebellious. You purposely go against the grapevine and make choices that are not necessarily what you want to do, but you do it because you know it's not what is expected of you. Number five, you have a hard time saying no and setting boundaries. You feel guilty and tend to overexplain in order to justify your actions. You have an all or nothing attitude. You give, give, give and go, go, go until you burn out and take a long time to bounce back. Number six, you are a procrastinator. You distract yourself with short-term pleasantries or other little busying things and then pull all-nighters to do what you really needed to do in the first place. Number seven, you don't really know what self-care is. You don't know how to self-soothe. You don't know what your body and mind need to calm down. You don't know how to rest or ask for help. You tend to look outside of yourself for happiness instead of within. So you might turn to food or shopping or rely on someone else to make you feel better. Number eight is similar to number seven, but I think it just needs more emphasis because number eight is you don't know how to take a break or chill. You're always on the go. You always have to be doing something or even better, multitasking, and you can't be in silence. You're always in need of a distraction or a job or a task. Number nine, apologies are full on or non-existent. You are either apologetic AF, quick to say sorry and say it a lot, or you have a really hard time admitting when you're wrong and saying sorry. Or you're like me, where I'm really apologetic to the rest of the world, but not so much to the people closest to me, like my partner. Number 10, you self-sabotage in relationships. Now this one is a huge one, so probably an episode will be needed for just this one. But basically, you act in a way that often either hurts you or your partner or just the relationship itself, and you know it does, but you can't stop yourself. You may set expectations that are not realistic, you may second guess yourself or others, or you may tolerate poor behavior from others at your own expense. 
So you're probably thinking that these just sound like normal character traits. But I think there's some important questions that we should ask ourselves. Why do I behave this way? Is there a memory that I can think of that it made sense for me to start acting this way because it protected me from something or someone? These are some of the examples I came up with for why someone might behave like the 10 things above. So for low self-confidence, was it common for your parents to scold or criticize you? No matter what you said or did, it was never good enough or never right. Maybe you were constantly compared to others who were doing it better. You know, I'm picturing Danny DeVito in Matilda, the movie, where he's staring down at her with his pointed finger and he's shouting, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm big, you're small, and there's nothing you can do about it. Low self-confidence results in, you know, being indecisive because you've been conditioned to feeling you must choose the best, perfect option out of the choices in front of you or else you will be shamed, guilt-tripped, or punished for choosing wrongly. So you have to analyze every detail, throw down a pro and cons list of all the options you have before you can choose. Or you choose to not be the person who makes decisions because then you can't be to blame if something goes wrong. You know, it makes me think of when you're at an interview or doing a questionnaire and they ask you, do you take risks? And I'm like, hell no. (laughs) Perfectionism. So you only got warmth or acknowledgement if you did something perfectly perfect in the eyes of your parents. But... How often were you able to achieve that impossible standard? Very rarely, but keep trying. People-pleasing. You didn't get affection from your parents, so you're going to go search for it from anyone and everyone else. You couldn't make your parents happy. They couldn't see how good you were, but surely someone else can. Surely you can make someone else happy. And they're going to give you all the pats on the backs that you're looking for. Right? Rebellious. So the role of perfect son or daughter was too much to bear. So you're fighting it in any way you can, even if your actions go against your own values. This can also stem from wanting attention. You didn't get attention from your parents, so if you make a scene and you get negative attention... Negative attention is still attention. It comes from a place of wanting or from wanting to teach your parents the lessons. Like, oh, you think I'm bad? Well, I'll show you really bad. And then you'll know how good you had it. You can't say no. Well, you never could say no to your parents. So how are you supposed to know how to say no to someone else? There were no such things as boundaries in my house. Phone calls were listened in on, diaries were read, destruction of personal property, all normal. So you don't know how to set up boundaries and you don't know how to say no. Procrastination. So things like all or nothing attitudes or perfectionism come into play here. Because if you can't give it 100%, you're not going to do it. 
If there's a risk you're going to fail, you're not going to do it. Um, there's also a piece about emotional dysregulation. So if this particular project or whatnot is something that you're uncomfortable with or you don't like it, you don't know how to settle that within yourself. You don't know how to focus on your work because you're feeling dysregulated and you don't know how to fix feeling uncomfortable. And so you just ignore your feelings, ignore the project until you can't anymore. Lack of self-care. What is it, this elusive self-care? I'll tell you when I figure it out for myself. Your childhood may have been spent making sure other people are happy or cared for at the expense of yourself. You worked so hard to make someone else happy to no avail. So you grow up feeling that someone else should make you happy too, since that's what you were trying to do. And that then coincides with number eight, with no chill. You know, you don't know how to take care of yourself because you don't know how to stop and take a rest. You're always doing something because if you're doing nothing, then you are lazy and you're good for nothing. If you're busy, you don't get in trouble. You know, when was the last time you could sit down and mindfully just drink a cup of tea with no noise or distraction? Go outside for a walk and actually just, you know, look at the scenery instead of scrolling on your phone. You also have no chill because when you're in silence, then you're alone with your thoughts and those can be overwhelming. So you put something on so you don't have to think about it. Number nine was apologies. You were always wrong and your parents were always right. So you say sorry a lot because you're used to being wrong. Why wouldn't you still be wrong now as an adult when you've been wrong your whole life? So yeah, you say sorry a lot or you don't say sorry at all because you've been wrong your whole life and you're not going to be wrong and you're not going to be sorry anymore. You feel like you've done your time. Number 10 was relationships. And like I said before, this probably needs its own episode just because it's so complicated and has so many avenues to explore and relationships means really with anyone so yes of course with your life partner but also with friends with co-workers um, those are relationships too and you don't know you may not know how to have a loving and healthy relationship with someone else because you didn't have it growing up and you reiterate the same patterns and behaviors you grew up with and that's all you know and that's what's going to come into play with your future relationships. Okay, so let's check in. Did you have any aha moments? Did something click for you? It all starts with awareness and realizing that there is nothing wrong with us just because we do some of these things. These behaviors are understandable and it makes sense why we resort to them. I resonate with a lot of these things and a big one for me is low confidence. You know, I want to be small. I don't want to cause a scene. I want to follow all the rules perfectly so I don't get in trouble. For example, I absolutely find it 11 out of 10 uncomfortable if I have to ask for something that technically isn't available or allowed. So like asking for a bathroom at a place that doesn't have a public bathroom, but probably does for staff. Or asking for an extra towel at the gym when the policy is one per person. 
For a lot of people, this is no big deal. People often tell me, what's the worst that could happen? They say no. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds mortifying. I have no problem doing it for other people. Like, for example, my daughter, I can ask someone for the bathroom, no problem. But if it's for myself, I just, I would never do it. It's easy for me to ask for a bathroom for my daughter because I feel that that's a justifiable reason, an understandable reason to ask for something like that. Whereas I don't have that same kind of compassion for myself, I guess. There's a scene in the show called Schitt's Creek that I think about often. And if you haven't seen this series, I highly recommend it. But anyway, there's a scene where the sister is taking her brother for his driver's test, and he's freaking out. And she tells him, nobody cares, David. And he goes, people care. I care. The driving instructor cares. And she says, trust me, people aren't thinking about you the way you are thinking about you. Boom. Damn. So true. But it's so hard for me to put it into practice, to really believe it. I know people have their own lives, people have their own problems to worry about. They're very likely not focused on me. And for the most part, I'd like to believe people want you to succeed. But I'm just always thinking like, oh, you know, when that person says no to me for the bathroom, they're laughing at me and they think I'm the most stupidest person in the whole world, like, ha ha. And that's just me. That's just my brain. So whenever I feel myself ruminating and getting lost in my head, I say to myself, nobody cares, David. And it helps a little because, you know, it's still a work in progress. All these behaviors, I knew they were bothersome or things I didn't love about myself or my life, but I never saw them as things that were because of trauma. I never saw them as things that I had the power to change, things that didn't have to define me. But I can only change them when I become aware of these things in my life that are no longer serving me and become aware of their origins and why I behave in the way I do. And if that wasn't hard enough, I also have to realize that healing can only happen if I take responsibility of doing the work myself, even though the wound may have been inflicted by someone else. Until now, I couldn't really begin my path to healing because I didn't really want to fully admit that I was even hurt. Until now, even though I told myself that I accepted my parents for who they are and I wasn't expecting the miracle of an apology, internally I felt that as giving in. It was losing. It was giving away my power. And honestly, there was still a part of me hoping for an apology or that I could get a relationship or what I longed for from them. And if not from them, then I was waiting for the universe to compensate, to right the wrongs. I didn't see that fully being able to accept my parents for who they are and not expecting that apology should actually be empowering statements that would ultimately set me free. I'm finally beginning to see that only I can make it right. It is up to me 
to take reign of my own life. And I can do that now because I'm no longer that child relying on someone else. I can rely on me. The tricky part is learning how. And that's the ongoing journey I'm starting from here. And I hope maybe that if this resonated with you at all, that your journey can start here too. As always, thank you for sharing your time with me. I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Worthy Asian Podcast to hear any questions, ideas, or stories you have. And if you'd like a space to be able to share, receive, or give support, please join and help build our community in the Worthy Asian Facebook group. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe, share, or leave a review so more people can find us. I'll be back next Monday. So until then, take care, talk soon, and much love from a fellow worthy Asian.